So I think with businesses, they need to look at what products they're selling or what services they're offering and speak to their customers and work out what circular economy product or service you can tap into and solve solve like one problem for your consumer. You're listening to Commerce Talk with Smart OSC. everyone, welcome to Commerce Talk with Smart OSC. I'm your host, Adrian Wakem, the Regional Manager for Australia and New Zealand at Smart OSC. Uh, today's episode, we're diving into the world of re-commerce and the circular economy. Um, now, while reselling and renting have been around as a concept for decades, in fact, probably hundreds, even thousands of years, interest in re-commerce and the circular economy has really taken off in the last few years. So how can your company get involved and start reaping the benefits? Now, to try and answer that question, we're speaking to two experts who will be coming at the circular economy from different angles, as far as a circle can have angles. And so I'm absolutely thrilled to be able to welcome onto the show today, Kirsten Corr, the co-founder and co-CEO of DesignerX, and Edwina Morgan, the general manager, customer and strategy at Selvo Stores. Um, look, very much welcome to Commerce Talk, ladies. Um, I would love to just sort of start off by digging a little bit into what brought you both into, into this particular into this field and to the point where you are now. So Kirsten, might start with you. What's the, uh, the Kirsten Corrin Designer X story? Yeah. Um, well, thanks, Adrian, for having us. And yeah, well, my story was, you know, my background, um, I was in real estate for, for years um, after I finished school. But um, what happened was we had that yearly awards night and um, I literally was shopping and I found, you know, a beautiful dress and it was $1,000. And so I was standing there trying to justify the purchase. Uh, I really wanted it, but I knew in my head I was thinking, okay, this is for this one night and then I don't want it again. I'm not going to wear it again or I'm not going to get that much use out of it. So I really just couldn't justify that purchase. And so, you know, I went back to the office and the girls were telling me, you know, you can rent dresses on Facebook. And so I was like, oh, that's interesting. And so I actually found the dress that I loved. So I rented it off a girl in Perth for $150. I emailed her my credit card details uh, and we both kind of crossed our fingers and hoped that it would go, go through okay. And it did, but um, emailing someone your credit card details isn't very secure. And at scale, that's not really going to be feasible. Um, and if something w- went wrong, you couldn't really go to anyone. So that's what really sparked the idea and the opportunity that was in front of us to take advantage of it. And yeah, after some research, we realized no one was solving this solution for consumers. Um, it was early days for the inventory rental models, um, but they weren't solving the problem that I was having in that boutique in Sydney. Um, what can I do with that dress afterwards? I mean, I could resell it, but I was going to kind of maybe, you know, lose money or just not justify that full purchase and get that value. So that's why in 2015, we started building a custom built technology platform to solve this very solution, very problem, sorry. And yeah, in 2016, we launched and within a few months, we were mentioned on the Today Show as a go-to rental destination, just because of that unique kind of angle we came in. And and today we have over 30,000 listings on the platform. 
by over 6,000 lenders around the country. And we've had, you know, almost $60 million worth of inventory listed since we, we launched. So we're a pure play, peer-to-peer fashion rental platform. So um, we really nail that end-to-end experience when you want to rent a dress. And so we provide tools and technology to consumers to take advantage of and, and facilitate that rental and make it as easy as possible, um, you know, to make money from a dress and to, and to rent a dress. And so, yeah, we see lenders making profit from their dresses. And, that, and that's a good thing because it's reaching so many consumers. A case study we have is, um, you know, one dress only worth $400, renting out 30 times over, making the, the owner of the dress $2,500, but also reaching 30 consumers with that one dress. So, um, yeah, we think it, those 30 times has kind of prevented, you know, a fast fashion purchase because these consumers are after something once uh, and something new, something affordable, and that's what rental offers. Oh, no, fantastic. And, and we'll circle back to that a little bit later based on some of the stuff that you and I were talking about the other day. But, um, but yeah, in the meantime, yeah, Edwina is uh, been um, a long journey to sort of get Salvo stores to 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 where you're at now and really making leaps and bounds and taking over, you know, if you're talking thrift shopping, op shopping, we're, we're, we're the OG circular economy. So yeah. Tell us the, 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 the Edwina Morgan to date. Thanks Adrian for having us. It, it's, you know, kind of really exciting to be here talking about re-commerce. And I think for me, my background, my entire career has been in retail. So um, retail is very much a, a love for me. Um, you know, I've always loved retail, even from a small child. My mother used to say to me, all the other kids used to run to the toy department and I'd go to the fashion department to have a look at the latest um, dresses and, and what have you. So it's always been a passion for me. I think my journey into Salvo stores was really driven by the desire to give back on a social and environmental level. So I've been with Salvo stores now for 10 years and held a lot of different um, roles across the organisation, which has really um, enabled me to look at that whole resale or e-commerce, you know, kind of journey from multiple lenses, whether that's the donor, the customer, um, our volunteer base, and how that actually translates um, over that entire ecosystem and, and, you know, kind of life cycle of of the product. So, you know, kind of several stores um, over the last few years have had some exciting um, initiatives that we've taken to market to really help us um, reinvent ourselves. So we've been doing this now for 130 years across the the country in terms of resale and re-commerce and um, really being, you know, kind of within that circular economy. And um, for us, it's really about how do we continue to reinvent our offering to make it exciting for the community to connect into us um, and really driving the environmental and social benefit that shopping with, you know, the charity sector um, gives back to Australian communities. Okay, beautiful. No, thank you very much. Yeah, so I guess to sort of get into a bit more of the meat of, of this episode is let's start, you know, and maybe not so simple question. How do you both define re-commerce personally? Yes, I mean, I'm happy to jump in there. I mean, I think in, in terms of simple terms, re-commerce is, is the passing of ownership of a product from one to another to keep that product in circulation. Um, a really nice way that I actually heard it termed a few weeks ago um, was actually giving custodianship um, of a product um, or, you know, handing over that custodianship to others. So for me, it really is um, passing on that ownership to keep something in circulation. 
um, and to, you know, as, as Kirsten pointed out, to re-find the value of that item through, through its life cycle, whether that's, you know, a monetary value, um, whether that's an emotional value. I mean, we all have emotional connections to the products or the things in our lives. Um, and, you know, one of those is clothing and, and fashion. So really um, transferring that ownership from one to another. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. And I think ultimately, yeah, re-commerce is taking advantage of a product's full life cycle. So, and that's why I think, you know, it's going to continue growing re-commerce and and circularity. Everyone's aware of it and technology has fast-tracked our awareness on on lots of different things in the world, but especially post-COVID as well, when everyone kind of was at home and reassessing what's in their lives and what's in their wardrobes and um, how much value they're extracting from you know, the products they purchase and, and things that, that they've got sitting around their house. Um, yeah, so ultimately, I think it's taking advantage of, of, of a product's full life cycle. And, and for businesses, I think that's going to look different for everyone. And I think they've got to, you know, look into what their customers want and extracting the value out of things, but also the whole supply chain then comes into play too and making sure that the product's made properly anyway. So then it can go through those cycles uh, properly and eventually maybe get recycled and repurposed into the same product or something else. And just that, that full loop. So there's a lot of opportunity and a lot of people that need to come to the table to make sure that end to end is covered. Yeah, um, look, I, I think we could, we could probably do a whole series of episodes just on the supply chain issue of this. And again, just and just into that point there, and you've mentioned you've mentioned the pandemic. Obviously, you know the, the P word is still pervasive in all, all parts of our lives. Still, but other than that, I mean, what, why do you, why do you think that e-commerce and the circular economy in general is seeing so much attention now? Is is, is it purely pan, pandemic driven, or or where, where else have you seen why all of a sudden it's become it's become relatively you know? And I had to use the word trendy, but I'll use it is sort of why, why, it, why it is and has, has become such a thing in the, in the last little while. Yeah, for us, we came in because of that kind of, that, from that social point of view and the growth of social media really impacted people wanting to wear these things once off and, and the growth of fast fashion as well. So the impacts that that had and that's why kind of we came across the problem and then tried to solve it. So for us, it was very technology enabled, taking advantage of, I guess, something that people were already doing. People do friends shared dresses off each other. And so we were just kind of putting that in a scalable model, I guess. But also the problem we saw was because of that social media type of growth. But also, yeah, the younger generations coming up, I think, yeah, their their awareness of, of problems, global problems, Yeah, I think technology has had a huge part to play in the communication piece of being able to access this information, access the problems in an instant and think, what are we doing? Like, why are we doing it like this? Why have we done it like this for so long? Yeah, and I think, you know, kind of following on from from Kirsten's point around um, technology. So I think that that has been a huge enabler for people to participate within either the circular economy or, you know, kind of resale or all the different aspects that, that, you know, make up that re-commerce or that circular economy. And I think, you know, over the years, we've, we've really seen that driven by the likes of Thread Up in the US, the real, real rent, rent the runway, um, have done amazing things through technology to remove um, friction points and roadblocks for people to actually participate. 
And they've almost made secondhand or circular um, mainstream. So, you know, kind of really tapped into those markets and converted um, consumers that may not have looked at, at secondhand previously um, because they've made it convenient and they've made it easy. I think the second point that, that Kirsten made around the younger generation um, I think their incredible awareness and activism around um, social and environmental issues has probably driven a lot of us to really reassess um, the way that we personally and professionally um, are tackling these problems that have been built by many generations when you look at environmental impact. And I think that that's really driving a different way for us to think on a personal level and, as I said, on a, a professional level. So um, there's this real drive to provide solutions um, out to the market and participate um, within that solution and have an impact um, on the planet um, and on communities via looking at how we do things and changing up our business models and really looking at how we be more responsible. Um, you know, kind of for generations to come and, and how we leave a better place um, for the next generation. So I think for me, they're probably the two main things. I mean, I think for Salvo stores, we've seen this shift. It's been coming for many years. Um, as I said, I've been with Salvo stores for 10 years. And in that time, um, we have outperformed, um, you know, traditional retail as more and more people are open to shopping secondhand and, you know, kind of look at that for many different motivations, um, whether that's environmental impact or whether that's they, they want a unique shopping experience or a, a unique, you know, kind of look or, or what have you. So I think that the trend has been growing and I think it's probably been accelerated by the younger generations, by technology and by COVID. Okay. Yeah. And uh, and look, and and I, and I can't remember the numbers off the top of my head in terms of where e-commerce is a global industry in terms of what that is. And you know, you've got this interesting play against the fast fashion and the ultra fast fashion. You know, like a Shane, because they're they're what a hundred billion dollars of value. It's interesting because obviously the space that both of you are in is, is almost is the is the antithesis to that is you know and, and I know that and you've already mentioned a few times already Kirsten that's one of the things is how, how do we prevent somebody making a fast fashion purchase are you for, both foreseeing a future at which point they will intersect and potentially one would take over from the other one or or do you think or do you think this unfortunately fortunately or unfortunately still still going to be a massive market for the you know for the fast fashion for the fast fashion brands to continue to achieve those valuations. Yes, that's a good point. I mean I, I think that we will see fast fashion outgrow. Um, I'm sorry, fast fashion we'll see resale outgrow fast fashion and, and thread up actually point to that in their yearly reports and they have done for many years now. Um, and I think, you know, kind of they've got it pegged at about um, 2030 um, for that tipping point to come. You know, I think that innately as, as you know individuals fashion actually plays a part of that individuality so you know kind of how we can entice consumers to actually look at different options to to be able to do that and to be able to evolve um, their fashion identity over you know kind of over you know a period of time through different avenues whether you know kind of that is purchasing a new product whether you know is renting um, items shopping secondhand 
you know, kind of I think that we'll see a big change up in, in terms of how our wardrobe is made up in, into the future. And I think, you know, kind of we, we tend to demonise fast fashion quite quickly and, you know, kind of I can't obviously speak to, to she and I, have, I have actually haven't looked into what they're doing around um, addressing the impact that they have across, across the industry or the supply chain. Um, but when you actually look at, you know, the likes of H&M and, and what have you, they are investing in, in this space in terms of circular economies and pulling back value from items that are, are unable to be worn. And they're looking at, you know, how they can make things more durable into the market. So, you know, although it's, it's not a great practice and, you know, kind of, um, you know, you don't want to really see or support that 52 weak fashion cycle, um, you know, I think it's important to note that a lot of these players are doing things to um, address the issue, which we can all benefit from. Probably one thing to, to point out, I think it was, it was mentioned before, probably the biggest or one of the big impacts of, of this fast fashion is the durability of the item. So, you know, they're only made to last for, for a few wears um, and, you know, kind of what we're seeing from a Salvo store's perspective is as that actually floods our, our um, supply chain and what have you, we're actually having to deal with those items and, you know, look for alternatives because they're not sellable. You know, there isn't a value in market for them. And that's a big issue that we do need to overcome and, and find better ways of actually dealing with that product, but actually making things right in the first place so that they can remain in, in circularity for a long period. That is interesting. It goes back to you guys and you have to deal with it. Yeah, so these shops are selling, you know, you know products to, to people and pretty much saying, like, it's so cheap and, and it's cheap because just go throw it out and buy the next product. And that's kind of what Sheen has been really successful at is that selling products. And I think they, they iterate really quickly on, on when they notice something that's trending, they start building more products around what's trending. And then so I think that they're a good example of um, we've still got a lot of work to do. And they're a good example also that they're also giving the consumer kind of that marketing play that, that consumers love, like the discounts and that, that feeling and, and points and loyalty. So they're, they're doing that kind of marketing really well, but ultimately it's not sustainably sustainable like financially or environmentally. And I absolutely agree resale and, and rental and circular economy is going to overtake fast fashion because governments are getting involved as well and there's there's policies now growing you know to for, for companies to have to you know take ownership of of this whole supply chain so i don't think it's going to last and i think yeah the growth of the circular economy people are going to um businesses are going to make it more easy to access the better stuff circulate it more circulate it like easier quicker and, and that's what we focus on every single day. And that's why we, you know, have launched three-hour delivery and like really trying to feed the customer what they want in terms of a retail and online retail experience, but within the circular economy. So there's challenges for us because we're coming in completely different angle. Um, you know, every booking on the platform, um, the dress needs to come back. So there's a lot of logistical things that we need to address address there but um the, the, yeah that is a really interesting kind of example yeah we're cons like a contradiction between consumer sentiment and consumer behavior why are they 100 billion why why are people still consuming this but yeah i think that's i think by 2030 i think hopefully we're, we're at that tipping point and even sooner hopefully 
maybe that's where governments are going to step in, Edwina, in particular, you know, like let's 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 have the equivalent of carbon credits for fast fashion companies and they they have to subsidize your rubbish removal bills, for example, at at, at Salvos. But <laughs> hey, we're in we're in the middle of a general election at the moment. I, I keep getting all these pollies around the train station, keep coming and asking me stuff. That's what I'll tell them. I'll support I'll support those who, who are going to give money to the charities to to pay for their rubbish removal to get rid of their crap. <laughs> I sort of wanted to move on to next is talking a little bit about the fact that if you're looking at the big wide world of, of, of re-commerce is you're, you're both in in different niches of it, you in particular, Kirsten. And, and you know, and Edwina mentioned Read the Runway before, again, as someone who was trying to blaze a path here. Um, but when you and I were talking the other day is you, you were talking about, you know, the big differences between what you've been able to achieve at Designer X compared with Rent the Runway, who are not, you know, Rent the Runway now own all of their inventory. So it, it's become quite an unprofitable business, whereas in your case, being peer-to-peer, there's, you know, you're in the black everywhere, including the people who were actually giving items to you to actually sell through the platform. So to that point there, you know, is, and if, if for anyone else across the retail spectrum who's interested in trying to do more in this space, um, how important would both of you say it is to, to finding a niche within the world of, of e-commerce or can being a generalist? be a way to, to be successful. Yeah, I really believe like with the growth of this economy, with the circular economy, I think that uh, I think we mentioned um, on our call that um, there's going to be niche businesses that are going to do one thing and they're going to do it really well. And I think that's what we should focus on. And that's why we double down on rental and we try and extract as much value out of an item. Um, Rent the Runway, they, you know, Consumers love them for their subscription model and their workwear. So, all that. So they do play a great part. They are America's largest dry cleaner, you know, because of what they do. So it is a completely different model. We're in two markets already. They're, they're you know, in one. It's very hard to scale. Um, and so when we came into it, it was all about a global mindset. How can we reach as many customers? Because this is a global problem and we can have global impact. So that's where the peer-to-peer kind of model came for us. But I think, yeah, the real, real player part, rent the runway, and there's different ways of doing it. So I think with businesses, they need to look at what products they're selling or what services they're offering and speak to their customers and work out what from beginning of the product to the end and what their customer wants to do with it and for how long. So I think then you need to then assess what circular economy product or service you can tap into and solve solve like one problem for your consumer. And 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 that and that, that would be your your key piece of advice in, in terms of for any business trying to get into this, that you know, let let's let's not try and eat the elephant all at once and and pick just pick out one thing to focus on. Yeah, do it really well and pick a niche circular economy type business model that can really help you um, and solve that specific problem that your customer is experiencing. Or yeah, if, you, if your product's being used for a month, then where does it go? And how can you make that an easy transition for your customer? Because that's what they want. Customers want to be involved. So if you can make it as easy as possible, that would be my advice. Yeah, and I think, you know, kind of um, building on from that, you know, I think um, to, 
you know, kind of those points that the key players over time will will actually find their value proposition within that circular economy. And I think everybody has a part to play, right, and stuff. And, you know, kind of I think that that will take shape in, in different forms, some more general than others, you know, kind of some really targeting those gaps or those niche markets um, that need to be addressed. And, you know, kind of I know for, for Salvo stores at the moment, you know, we are looking at what are the unique things we actually bring to the table um, around re-commerce and around um, circularity and, you know, kind of one of of the things that um, is really unique to our business is the social impact. So, you know, kind of that impact that we have by, you know, selling secondhand and, you know, kind of having that environmental impact also pushes into that social impact you know, which is which is pretty humbling um, when you actually think about that support that that is provided out to to Australian communities. We're also looking at ways that we can provide um, meaningful pathways into meaningful work um, through volunteering. So, um, you know, kind of digital or e-commerce is quite a new thing for us. We actually had our second birthday this year of, you know, replatforming and actually launching um, our e-commerce offering, um, which has been hugely successful for us. But, you know, you've also got that human side where we've had volunteering opportunities and we've been able to upskill people with digital skills and, um, you know, they've gone on to, to find meaningful employment, you know, kind of which, which, is, which is really cool. And, you know, kind of I think, you know, for us it's really about finding that place as, as you know, kind of the um, landscape continues to change and shift and really finding where do we actually add value into into that economy and into that ecosystem and I think you know kind of as Kirsten's pointed out that's an individual journey for each organization um, in terms of how they actually go about um, addressing the needs of their customers and you know even down to the point do they do it themselves do they partner with somebody in the charity sector that's got um, some of those expertise to to do that do they partner um, with other organizations and and what have you so I think everyone that's kind of going on that journey but really answering what's right um, for your customer and how do you actually add value to the ecosystem yeah and i think and, and that even comes back i mean because at the end of the day there's a commitment needs to be made from the business to you know to get into this and we're not talking you know there's a financial commitment certainly on some sides of it but a lot more it, it, it's it, it's a human resource commitment and and that, and that's coming down from you know from management to staff is are they buying you know buying into that and you know, and in particular, you know, and again, you've, you've, you've got a particularly unique circumstance, Edwina, is the fact that the vast majority of your workforce, as you've said, are volunteers. You're sort of bringing people on from all different walks of life and, and sort of then getting them suddenly into this retail, <laughs> you know, getting them thinking, you know, think, thinking retail. And, and you've already talked about some of the benefits of that to the volunteers in terms of how it gives these very transferable skills to, to transition into full-time work if, if that's what they're looking to do. But, uh, but yeah, and again, even sort of, you know, moving moving back from that sort of commitment is, you know, and you're moving into, into what the benefits would be, you know, for either side is, and there's two parts of that. Would, would you both be able to still down in terms of, you know, a couple of what would you say are the, are the real benefits for a business to, I guess, to really go fully into this? And and, um, and again, and the, and the benefits for consumers, I don't think we, look, I'll be honest, I, I don't think we really need to ask about the benefits for the consumers. Consumers are smart. Consumers are savvy. They they know <laughs> they know what they can get out of that. Yes, uh, very 
Yeah, they're very savvy. They'll go and look for a deal. You know, they'll go and find a product, you know, maybe at the shops, they're at the shops, but then they'll go online and look for a deal. Yeah, so that's why, yeah, brands and retailers need to kind of understand that experience as a customer because I'm sure they'll want to be there at that point when they're looking for a deal. And, for example, yeah, people come on and they find the deal, they find a dress that they can access for $100 instead of 1000 yeah, so, and I love the point about that Edwina made around community. So the the benefit of this whole economy and the growth of it is the growth of communities. So with our 6,000 lenders, they're offering one-on-one personalised experiences to, to, to our renters, and that's a huge community. Uh, and we're giving them the tools and the, empowering them, and they're all like kind of entrepreneurial in their own right. They've got their rental like profiles on, on the DesignerX platform. So it's really giving the power back to the consumer as well. And for brands, yeah, to to get involved, they get to be part of more of their customer's journey with that product. So it's not just a a sell, see you later, and and then try and resell them something new. It's kind of they can be part of that ongoing experience with their customer and probably build much more loyalty and, and, and history with that customer. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, I think I think that for brands now, I don't think it's even a, a question of their customers want them to be doing this. They're expecting them to be doing something better for, for the community and something better for the planet. So, you know, kind of I think for, you know, brands, you know, the way that they actually undertake this journey and how they um, partner or how they actually go about um, building their response to the current issues and the current concerns from their customer base and how they actually um, go about um, creating solutions to overcome those concerns um, will be key in, in maintaining and building that loyalty from their customer base. So, you know, I think it's probably moved from a question of a nice to do or, you know, hey, let's do this and, you know, kind of it might be a bit of a unique brand proposition to a must do. Um, as consumers actually expect or the community just actually expects that um, that we'll do a better job in, in terms of, you know, environmental and social issues and that, you know, retailers will be an active part of those solutions um, in partnership with their community um, it will be an expectation, not just a, a kind of nice to have for a brand moving forward. It's a really interesting point there as well is because you know I mean, as we all know I mean consumers are fickle and customers are fickle and that idea of loyalty is you know it's a real war at the moment between especially with brands who have spent a lot of time building up their own customer databases their own brand position and you've got the buy now pay later solutions the you know the marketplaces all jostling to try and take that and, and you look at some of these providers out there where brands are now having to pay to sell to their own to their own existing customers coming in through those networks. So as a point of difference, yeah, is, you know, to say, well, you know that if you're generally looking to be part of that re-commerce community, you work with us directly. So yeah, that, that, that's, good. that's going to be, that's going to be another, um, an, another front, another front, I think, that's going to develop a lot more. To change tack a little bit is a big part, obviously, of DesignerX's success, Kirsten, has come from your technology platform. And, and, and as Edwin mentioned before, Salvo Stores has, you know, has just hit their second anniversary of, of replatforming. So those efforts have really been accelerating, in particular under your watch, Edwina, you know, to become a lot more digitally, you know, digitally focused. It's in there. So, so what would you say are some of the, the, the technical considerations any business looking to go into the re-commerce space might have to take more seriously than 
than a traditional e-commerce business? Oh, look, I mean, I'm happy to, to jump in there. I think for us, um, you know, this has been a journey for two years. And I think from a technical um, perspective, there, there's a few key things that we have kept front and centre. So the first is usability, you know, our um, offering um, or our, our very essence of our business is powered by 10,000 volunteers. So, you know, we need to make sure that whatever we're asking them to use or interact with is easy. And essentially at the moment, we've got over 180 stores listing into our e-commerce site. Um, so, you know, that, that's been really key for us in, in terms of making sure that any back-end systems are, are easy, things such as dispatch. So we're also dispatching from, from those stores. So, you know, kind of select platforms like ShipStation that make, you know, kind of that that easy. So looking at how we actually make that ecosystem and, and um, you know, kind of the way that um, our team interact with those technologies as easy as possible has served us really well. Probably the second thing is really identifying the technologies that allow us to scale quickly and allow us to enhance quickly. So, you know, I think Kirsten spoke before about, you know, consumer expectations and really looking at that customer experience. That shifts so quickly now, you know, kind of what, what a customer expected um, you know, last week and stuff will will really shift, you know, kind of over a really short period of time of what their expectations are in terms of removing friction points and making things easy for them. You know, and I think we've seen a lot um, with last mile delivery, um, you know, kind of expectations, um, especially through COVID where now, um, you know, consumers are, or customers are expecting items delivered within you know, windows of an hour to three hours. So um, really making sure that the foundational technologies that you're building on um, actually allow you to adapt um, with the market quickly and to scale kind of as you need. So they're probably the two things from, from um, Salvo stores is that usability, both for our customer and, and for our, you know, kind of team members, that they're making sure that the technologies and the platforms and your digital partners um, are actually on the journey with you to continue enhancing scaling um, and to continue to refine that experience, you know, kind of across that ecosystem. Yeah, absolutely. I think fitting into that expectation is key. And that that was how we kind of came in. And, and that's why we had to build custom was so we could plug into to those third party solutions and make sure that this unique marketplace that we, we had built um, was still serving um, what the customer expects from a purchase point of view, an online purchase point of view, instead of just thinking, oh, we'll, we'll let them list a dress and then they can work it all out between themselves. Because if it's not easy, they're just not going to consume and we're not going to have the traction um, that, that we need to have and the planet needs to have. Yeah, it's the real the technology backing and to be able to plug into those, um, you know, logistical solutions, payment solutions. Yeah, and looking at what your customer ultimately wants and making it easy for them to, to consume sustainably will be kind of the big factor here in, in the growth of the circular economy is to make it easy for the customer. And um, and that's why fast fashion, you know, is still kind of, you know, it's, it's still there um, because they give the customer what they want, affordability, something new, something quick, super quick. They've got payment solutions, they've got anything the customer wants. Um, so that's where we need to come in from a circular economy point of view. And um, it's going to have to have some real innovation, innovation-led 
to be able to kind of um, you know solve those problems, uh, so, solve what the the expectations are, but coming in completely different angle. So um, this yeah, the whole circular economy is very innovation led, I think, as opposed to just kind of following a playbook of. I'm a, I want to sell a dress, this type, like this type of dress, and I'm going to follow this playbook that um, this other fast fashion retailer has done. There's no real playbook, I think. I think we're, we're at the forefront of change. Um, and look, and, 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 I guess, and I guess just a, a quick question for both of you is, uh, is, again, is in terms of operating exclusively as within that re-commerce space, I mean, I mean, and, and I think I can preempt the answer based on what we've already talked about today. But certainly keen to hear from you. Does operating exclusively in that in that space, do you see it actually having a cap on your growth, or does it make scaling a bigger challenge than it might otherwise be? If you've got that temptation to say, "Oh, I could actually start selling some new some some new stuff." Yeah, I don't. I mean, I, I don't think that it caps our growth at the moment. I think it, it's a fast-growing space, and I think you know, as you know, as we interact within you know, kind of the space of consumerism, and then you know, kind of that re-commerce um, that you know, um, unfortunately, at the moment, one one kind of serves the other and stuff. Um, so you know, kind of, I, I don't see immediate caps on on the ability to grow. I think that if anything, this will become you know, a real focus, um, you know, kind of within the marketplace and within the retail landscape um, as time goes on. So I think it's really picking up, you know, Kirsten's point around innovation. How do we actually continue to cycle product through platforms or through ownership to continue um, respecting the value within that product and, you know, kind of um, think about different ways of, of doing that? You know, I think... I guess ultimately in the end is as, you know, that behaviour does shift and and we see more people interacting with re-commerce or the circular economy, um, you know, kind of we will see products um, circulating more through those communities, but that will also have the knock-on of, you know, kind of your supply chain or those those newer products aren't coming into it. And I think that's where that holistic circular economy comes in, in terms of, well, when something is past its life cycle, how do we actually extract the value from um, those items and actually put it back into the economy as as a new kind of redesigned, um, you know, kind of item so that, um, you know, kind of we've got that, we've got that, you know, kind of um, supply coming back in into those those reuse kind of markets. Um, I think also too, you know, from the charity sector's perspective for us, you know, probably the biggest challenge is keeping up with the pace, you know. Being a charity obviously has, um, you know, all of its benefits in, in terms of those you know, interactions with the community and what we're able to to give back. But, you know, we've got a, a responsibility to um, raise as much funds as we can to provide um, support for our community. So, you know, kind of it, it's weighing up that investment to continue growing in this space, you know, versus um, being able to give back um, into the community. So, um, you know, I know that that's something that keeps us up at, at night in terms of, you know, we don't have huge pools of you know kind of investment so for us it's really about how do we act really um quite agile within this marketplace how do we be really smart about what um you know we um develop and you know kind of um put out there 
or, you know, pushing, pushing um, forward into this space and how do we keep pace as, you know, kind of this continues to grow um, is probably the biggest challenge for us. Yeah, and, and, and it's an interesting point that you make there as well as, as part of that community and that, 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 that dynamic evolution of it because, you know, because certainly because by its very nature, re-commerce in particular what both of you are doing your potential is so having more interaction between brands who wouldn't otherwise necessarily do it and to that point of yours in terms of when you look at what the mission is for in particular for salvo stores fundraising for the salvation army and all that and all that charity work that you're doing we're already starting to see brands recognizing the value in reselling their own products directly so is is it's the same that that's exactly the sort of thing you're saying in your case is what's keeping you up at night because it's that's that's a, that's a pool of income that doesn't necessarily go to the way that you distribute it. Yeah, I think it's yeah, I think Adrian, I think it's two things. So I think you know, kind of one, um, you know, even in the last ten years, the space that we operate in has become more congested with with competitors and I mean that's a good thing right because that means that you know you've got to look at how you do things and you've got to really respond to the market and um, you know um, think of new ways of doing things and you know that only benefits the customer and stuff Um, so I think you know kind of obviously you know kind of that is something that that we look at and and what have you but I think also too just keeping up with customer expectations you know as technology continues to advance you know customers expect more and more seamless omni-channel experience and and that takes investment you know so I think it's really keeping up with those customer expectations and I think you know we'll see more and more that um, customers are shopping with charities they're renting they're you know um, shopping mainstream so the expectation across the experience in in a charity shop is is increasing so you know 15 years ago, um, you'd go into a charity shop and, you know, you'd accept the, um, you know, the gaps in in either experience or the gaps in, in, you know, kind of that holistic offering, whereas what we're finding now, you know, customers, they want to come in, they want to have a great experience and they want that experience to be more closer to that mainstream, um, you know, kind of experience, whilst also honouring, you know, that whole rummaging type of feel and that eclectic feel of, of a traditional offering shop so you know for us it's about getting that balance but then as the the sector continues to invest in technologies and invest in in that experience how do we keep pace with that um, whilst being responsible to our purpose which is obviously um, giving back to to communities and raising funds to um, support communities so I think I think it's two things um, but I think also too we've got a, a beautiful opportunity to partner with with retailers as I said you know we've been doing this for 130 years we've got a, a huge infrastructure that has been dealing with reverse logistics and been dealing with um, all of these things so you know I think that that's another question for, for brands in terms of well either how do they partner to actually offer that to to their customer um, or do they want to go about it, you know, kind of themselves and, you know, kind of how how can we go on this journey, you know, kind of together. So I think it's probably two things. Um, look, in the, in the interest of time, because this has galloped away and I think we could all quite easily be talking about this for the rest of the afternoon, possibly for, da- for days on end. We might we might bring ourselves up to a little bit of a, a little bit of a full stop. So I'll throw I'll throw to both of you. We've already got one really good tip from both of you. Um, this is generally the part of the session where we ask to sort of get what would be your top tips for a business trying to get it involved in re-commerce. So if I could ask you both 
you know, for anything more you want to put into there. Um, and interestingly, and again, for both of you, for Kirsten, if you could go back in time before Designer X and give yourself one piece of advice, what it would be? And likewise for you, Edwina, if you could do the same before you made this, before you made this this big push into recom, um, what would be that one piece of advice as well? So over, over to you both. Yeah, well, hindsight's a beautiful thing, isn't it? But um, if I could go back, like just from a personal point of view, I would, I would tell myself to just back myself a bit earlier, get some confidence in you, go after this a bit sooner, obviously, um, solve a global problem earlier. But, um, yeah, that's that's um, what I would say. But, yeah, in terms of um, if, if we're talking to businesses and they're looking to get into e-commerce, I would definitely speak to your customers and understand the journey of that product that you're selling to them and understand you know, what they want to do with it, when they want it, and how can we then pass it on? How can they make it easy to um, either get it to them better or, or help them send it to the next person? Yeah, and, and prioritise kind of those those options based on, you know, impact and cost, um, ease. So, yeah, you've got to prioritise based on the feedback. Um, and then, yeah, and based definitely on impact, how much impact can you have? Um, because re-commerce is, is about impact and sustainability and that social piece. So that would be my advice. And definitely maybe surround yourself with people that have done it or surround yourself and speak to people that are in re-commerce already and what they're seeing from their customers. Um, like we learn a lot about our customers and, and why they buy and where they buy um, and then how many times they rent. And so there's a lot of renters, you know, experiencing all these brands that, that they don't necessarily purchase from, but they, they fall in love with these brands. So there's a big piece there for brands to, to really get involved with the re-commerce. Definitely. I think if, if I had my time again, it would just be get just get started. It doesn't have to be perfect and stuff. And I think just start somewhere. And, you know, I think that that has probably been the gift of COVID that, um, you know, prior to COVID, gosh, when we were thinking about this, you know, we were um, doing full architecture, you know, kind of um, investigations and really looking at, well, how do we actually, you know, build this? And, you know, there were so many steps and processes that, that we were kind of going through. And, you know, luckily we had started that piece of work, but I think what COVID, um, you know, kind of made us, um, you know, really do was say, hey, we need to get something done quickly and, and we just kind of did it and stuff. So I think, you know, kind of, you know, kind of looking back and reflecting, just getting started, just doing something and putting the toe in the water would be the advice um, that I'd give to myself. In terms of businesses, I think really, and I think person really nailed it um, earlier in terms of, really develop the solution for your customer. So, you know, kind of really find what your customer is, is looking for um, and really um, think about, well, what's the solution that will serve them? And then I think once you, you've kind of got that answered, looking at how you go about that. So, you know, kind of looking at how you may partner to go um, through that or, you know, kind of how you would bring that to life for your customer that, you know, kind of doesn't necessarily disrupt the other part of, of your business model. Um, you know, I think that that's important um, for businesses to, you know, kind of keep the DNA of, of who they are, but, you know, kind of shift that um, in line with, with their customers' expectations. And I think, remember, customer is king, you know, kind of um, customers still expect, um, you know, a great um, experience and, you know, customer service and, and that human connection. So um, I think, you know, kind of if, if you're doing what's right for your customer, um, then you're in a, in a bit of a winning situation. 
Okay, well, I guess on that note, massive thanks again to, to both Kirsten and Edwina for, for, coming on the, uh, for coming on the podcast today. Really appreciate your time and your insights. If you would like to, if you'd like to give anything a bit of a plug or how people can get in, get in contact with you, either, either, um, either through digital means or now through the fact that we're actually out at events again, um, yeah, please, please, please shout, please, uh, shout out. Let, out, let out anyone know who might, who might want to reach out to you. No, just thank you. It's been a great, great conversation. So thank you for having me. Yeah, thank you so much, Adrian. And um, yeah, I think if any businesses want to get involved, yeah, I think uh, I would, yeah, uh, we're both, I'm sure, happy to speak to them and, and tell them a bit of um, insight into the into what we're doing in the circular economy. Beautiful. Uh, thank you. Thank you very much again, ladies. And yeah, and, and to you, our, our listeners and watchers on YouTube, because apparently there's more of you on YouTube that's a little bit freaky, um, make sure to subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform you're listening on. Please rate and review the episode. Share it with anyone you think is going to find it interesting. Um, and for more information on e-commerce and the circular economy uh, and e-commerce in general, please feel free to check out our website for that one. Um, thank you very much, everyone, and we'll catch you next time. Thank you. Bye-bye.